Welcome to Fluency with Dr. Darrell Cooper. I am your host, Dr. Darrell Cooper. Fluency is a show where we will talk about things that come to mind. This show is a unscripted. I mean, it can't be fluency and we have trouble talking about different things, right? So thank you so much for joining us. Sit back and enjoy this audio experience. I'm not going to be depressed by my work situation. I'm going to create the reality that I want. And so I decided to create a company where I could work with my friends and we could work on creative projects, work with other creatives, work with organizations that are doing great things to make the world a better place and to make that work as fun as possible. So. It was really like born out of a desire to create a work environment and dynamic I would enjoy and that other people would want to be a part of. So I am back with another episode of Fluency. Thank you listeners for joining us once again. And today I'm joined by the amazing Milando Jones. Milando, how's it going today? It's going well, Dr. Cooper. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nah, it's all, it's just Durrell for you, just Durrell. <laughs> Milando, you are Senior Director of Communications and Partnerships at Art21 and also the founder at the Clever Agency, but you're so much more than that. So the first time that your name came into my ecosystem, it's when you were at the uh, New York City uh, Arts and Education Roundtable. But by that time, everyone that I was talking to already knew exactly who you were. And like people that I really love and admire, like Lisa Yancey, who I've had on this podcast and Jessica Care Moore, who I've had on my web series flow, like just these incredible women, black women who I love and adore. They had so much admiration for you the moment your name came up. And I was like, okay, I need to know more about uh, Milando. So, so thank you so much for, for being on and, uh, and for sharing your light today. Uh, my pleasure. And I, I'm also a big fan of Jessica and, and Lisa as well. <laughs> I love them. I love them so much. They fill me with so much joy. Yeah. Yes, yes. So what have you been up to? I know uh, you're doing big things right now at R21. It's been still just under like two years, right? Yeah, it's been about a year and a half now. It's an inaugural position. This is the first time R21 has had this role. And so I've been creating a comms department sort of from scratch, but it's awesome in that I've been a longtime fan of Art21. I learned about Art21 while I was in grad school. So it's great to be in the fold and to be part of a leadership team and to have some influence on the future and direction of the organization. Oh, thank you so much for that. You mentioned like hearing about R21 when you're in grad school. I should have started with this. You're actually a Morehouse grad as well, right? Yes, yes. What was that experience like for you? Just like, you know, going to college there is such like a formative time in your life. Yeah, Morehouse was awesome. I went to Morehouse in the mid to late 90s. So I was there when it still had a little bit of that, a different world sort of vibe. Um, <laughs> I love it. Um, and, and yeah, I learned about Morehouse actually after seeing Do the Right Thing as a teenager. I was such a big fan of that movie and Spike. I was like, let me learn about this guy. And then I found out he went to Morehouse and that's when I learned, you know, Dr. King went there and all of these other heavyweights and the black community were graduates from Morehouse. And I was like, yeah, I want to be a part of that. 
tradition and that legacy. Yeah, Morehouse is awesome. I'd do it all over again if I could. And even to just be in Atlanta during that period of time, you know, where it was like Freaknik was still a thing. Okay. Um, that's <laughs> when like Atlanta really first started to make its moves as a presence, a serious presence in the hip hop community. Now basically Atlanta runs hip hop. So yeah, it was like a great institution to be a part of and a great time to be at Morehouse as well. And what was your uh, major there? Yeah, I majored in business administration with a concentration in marketing. Got it, got it. Okay, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I grew up in the South. I grew up in uh, Alabama. So, you know, just like neighbors right there. And, uh, you know, growing up in the 90s and, well, late 80s and 90s. But Atlanta was definitely always like this mecca of just like Black excellence. Really, and, and to be really honest with you, it was more like a Black joy thing. Like, I just remember being in elementary school and my mom and sister going to like Six Flags there and like even that being a big thing. And then as my siblings got a little bit older and started talking about Freak Nick, I was like, man, Atlanta just got it all. You know what I mean? Like, you made it there. Like, you, you'd have made it somewhere, you know? Okay. I can imagine that had to be amazing. What, you know, what was the transition then like for you to come back up north? Yeah, so after I graduated from Morehouse, I actually moved to Illinois. I got my first job at the National Council of Teachers of English. I worked in the marketing department there. So I was there for three years before doing a short independent study. I did a Spanish immersion program in Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. And while I was there, I applied to a couple grad schools. And both were in New York. One was at um, SVA and the other was at Pratt. Pratt dissed me, SVA accepted me. And then I came to New York to attend the MFA in Fine Arts program at SVA. I mean, that was definitely their loss on that one. <laughs> it's like, that's probably one of the things they look back on and be like, ooh. I mean, I really loved SVA in general. My primary draw to Pratt was their Brooklyn campus. Like I fell in love with their Brooklyn campus, but Overall, SBA, I really loved my experience there. What part of the city do you live in? Are you in Brooklyn now? No. So I have a place in Atlanta and in Birmingham. I'm from Queens originally, but during the pandemic, I bought properties. Oh my goodness. Wait, so you have, you have a property in Alabama? Mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. We actually talked about this, but it's been a couple years now. Oh so I, no! Because, because I can remember like, like, tripping off of like that serendipity that you were from Alabama. And I was like, hey, but I just got a place there. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I, I can believe it, especially because like my mind is being blown even right now. Um, <laughs> and, and first of all, thank you so much for that, for in, investing uh, in, in my home state, for being, you know, a black homeowner there, even if it's like an investment property or, you know, vacation home. I really appreciate it because, it, you know, we need it. So for people listening to this, what, what has your experience been like, you know, being a homeowner there? I mean, well, it's been great. My mother's side of the family is all from Alabama. So like my grandfather is from Selma. My grandmother is from Birmingham. My mom moved here years ago. So yeah, Birmingham's great. My family is really close. So even though I've lived apart from my family pretty much ever since I graduated from high school, we're really close knit. So to have a space 
that's like close to family, it, it feels really good. And that was like my incentive to get a place here during the pandemic. It was like at the time I was living in Jersey City, which was already sort of an isolated experience for me in terms of community, because most of my peeps are in NYC proper between like Brooklyn and Manhattan. And so when everything went left and got weird, I was like, I need to be close to family during this time. And so, yeah, I made my way south like pretty early on. So I spent some time in Atlanta and in Birmingham during the course of the pandemic when it first hit. And so within that first year, I was like, well, maybe I should like actually look at like planning some routes and like, you know, getting a space here while all while maintaining my place in Jersey City. And yeah, you know, it's much easier to make happen in the South than <laughs> in the tri-state area too. Yes. Yes. I definitely agree with that. I have a house in uh, Montgomery. Although I went to high school in Birmingham, which is amazing, but I have a home in uh, Montgomery. And let me tell you, the property taxes there a year, like, especially compared to like this area here is insane. You know what I mean? Like I see it. I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure this is all it is? All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> right. You can buy a house in Alabama for the down payment on an apartment in New York. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking too, like just the nature of the type of work that you do. There are some things that kind of happened during the pandemic that really kind of allowed for this like remote lifestyle to be even more prevalent and even more relevant. And especially for people who may not understand exactly like what you do, like when we say creative direction and marketing and branding and strategy, tell us a little bit more about this one area of expertise of yours. Yeah, so I've actually been working remotely for just over a decade now. So I was rooted in this way of working long before the pandemic hit. Most of the work that I do is digital or can be done digitally. So you're talking about lots of design, strategic planning, and creative direction. The times where um, I have worked in person have been largely professional development workshops. So I worked for several years with Queens Council on the Arts, my, my home borough, facilitating professional development workshops with a focus on marketing and grant writing for artists. So those would be the primary instances where I'd show up in a physical space and like workshop with people. But after the pandemic hit and, and workshopping shifted into the virtual realm, I was already comfortable working in that space. So it was an easy pivot for me. So yeah, so much of my work is done on a computer. It doesn't require me to show up and be hands-on with people. So it's been organic for me to work in this space remotely. And the first full-time job that I had that was a remote organization was with Fractured Atlas, which is the largest fiscal sponsor for artists and arts organizations in the country. And so that organization introduced me to Zoom and to Slack and all of those digital tools that became ubiquitous once the pandemic hit. I had already been working with these tools for years. And so, yeah, now that the world is acclimated to working virtually and hybrid, you know, it's something that um, everyone can relate to. I can remember early on when I would tell people that I work remotely, the, the, the normal response would be, I don't know how you work remotely. I wouldn't get any work done. Like, how do you do that? But everyone had to figure it out. At least the people who didn't work in service industry or hospitality sorts of jobs, everyone had to figure it out. And I know that some people still aren't as efficient working remotely as others. But for me, I'm 
pretty good with self accountability. So it's never been an issue for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people hear that self accountability part and they're like, okay, yeah, that, that that's probably where I, I might not quite. Is <laughs> not, you know, it, you know, for some people it comes very naturally. For others, you know, it's a, it's a for real discipline that they have to like put their, their focus on to be able to do it. But I think that's probably, you know, one of the traits that also makes you uh, very successful as an entrepreneur as well, you know, and running your own company. Tell us a little bit more about like that uh, decision to, to start your own business, a clever agency, and it's sort of where it is now. Yeah. So clever is about 10, 11 years old now. I've always done entrepreneurial things, but it wasn't until clever that I actually went through the incorporation process and made it official. I was inspired to do it like after a job that I had at the time, it was like a pretty grueling sort of situation. And so I made the decision like, all right, I'm not going to be depressed by my work situation. I'm going to create the reality that I want. And so I decided to create a company where I could work with my friends and we could work on creative projects, work with other creatives, work with organizations that are doing great things to make the world a better place and to make that work as fun as possible. So it was really like born out of a desire to create a work environment and dynamic that I would enjoy and that other people would want to be a part of. Oh, I love that. And was was the idea for you, like, uh, you know, majoring in uh, business and, and marketing back at Morehouse, was the idea always to work close with like the arts and cultural and like humanity space to work within that space? How did you sort of find yourself working so closely and within arts and culture? Yeah, well, I've been an artist my entire life. You know, I, I have artwork that my mother has shown me that I don't even remember making, you know, since I did it so young. So for me, like creating the Clever Agency was about fusing the worlds and my interests in business and entrepreneurship and arts and culture. And so many of my friends are like brilliant, you know, I have, you know, musicians, dancers, designers, sculptors. And so I was like, all right, I need people to help me bring this vision to life. And there are so many geniuses and, you know, so many super talented people that were right around me. I was like, why make it harder than it has to be? This friend does music. This friend's a great designer. This friend's a great writer. And so I really just created that space for people to come in and, and play if they wanted to and haven't looked back since. These days, I work on like one to maybe two on the outside projects a quarter or two a year just because my current role at Art21 takes up so much of my time. So I haven't been like, deep in the trenches with my work with Clever like I was in years past, but I still get to work with some pretty cool organizations and on some great projects. Yeah, and, and honestly, that's sort of like the beauty too of having your own business. You know, it's there, you know, as, as an additional outlet, but the energy that you put towards it as a CEO, you know, that's, that's all up to you. And at this point, you know, you have, like you said, over a decade of uh, receipts on the on the quality of work on you know clients 
Absolutely. You know, I, I feel like that's that's kind of like as an entrepreneur, that's one of the ways that you can actually burn out very, you know, quickly, fairly quickly by not really realizing that and just going completely like, you know, 120 percent all the time. You know, and it's like, all right, that might be great. Year one, year three, year five. But, you, you know, you're talking year 10, year 15, year 20. You know, you, you might want to have some staff in there at some point. <laughs> you, might, you might, you know, you might, you might want to like think about, think about that strategy for the long term. That's a lot of stress, you know. Exactly. No, but that's, that's amazing. So, so, you know, I kind of opened this up with, you know, some of the people that we both know in common, you know, so one of the things that I kind of see from that is like, you're like incredible at, at networking and talking to people and like relating to people. Where does that skill set come from? You know, was it something that you were just kind of like born with innately or is this something that you sort of developed like growing up? Like when did you f- first start to like realize, oh, you know, I'm really good at like connecting and like networking and talking to people? It's definitely something that I've developed over the years. I'm more of an introvert than not. In general, I require very little human interaction to be like happy and healthy. So when I do get out amongst people, I'd really like to, you know, enjoy myself, make those connections, have great conversations and make that time count. So if I'm in the house four or five days a week, that one or two days that I go out, I'm definitely like making the most of it. And then like, specifically living and working in the context of New York City, it allows the extrovert or the person who is willing to make those connections to flourish and to thrive because there's so many more opportunities to meet people. You literally just have to get out there and show up. And so, I, you know, I, I know a lot of places, probably most places, there aren't as many opportunities to connect with people as there are in New York City. Like you can, you know, literally just be walking down the street and run into someone who, you know, you idolize or someone that you've been wanting to connect with for forever. And it's just, do you have like the the courage to approach people and to introduce yourself to people? And that's something that I've actually never had an issue with. I'd rather approach someone and not have it be a successful interaction than to not approach them and then think about it later. Like, damn, I should have said something or I wish I had spoken to this person. Like for every time I've had that experience or that thought, that's inspired me every other time to make sure I don't pass up on those opportunities. And when I talk to younger professionals, I always encourage them like, look, like get outside of your head. If you see someone that you're inspired by or you think they could help, you know, move your life forward or change your life in any way, just go make the introduction. Really, what's the worst that could happen? And I sort of live by that on the day-to-day profession. That is such a great, like, life hack. (laughs) That's such great advice. You know, I, I definitely struggle with that. Like, I definitely consider myself to be introverted which I didn't until like I get around extroverts and I'm like, okay, yeah, this really is not for me. Like all this like informal, like banter, like that's not really me. But, it, you know, and I was a a theater major. And so, you know, get me on stage or, you know, if I'm giving speeches, you know, in person, I have a microphone, you know, that's a very different type of thing. But um, it's very easy to for me to like get drained, like socially with a lot of things, but definitely like growing up and like talking to people, uh, you know, it's, it's so different. Like I'm much more like sit back at the corner and hope like, you know, to, to get somebody caught up in my web of like charm or something. I don't even know. 
<laughs> but but one thing that I, I kind of started to do, I'm like, okay, so if, if I see somebody like that and I don't know what else to say to them, like I run into like a Oprah or something like that, which happened before. And and I'm like, I don't know what to say. Then the, I know I like the only thing I say is like, thank you. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, thank you. I just tell them thank you. I'm like, thank, thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for your work. Especially if they black, I'd be like, just thank you. If I can't think of anything else to say, I, I'd like say thank you. And, you know, that's just a, a thing that I kind of do. But, you know, expressing gratitude also goes a long way. That's what I was going to say. I think that's valid. It doesn't always have to be a transactional interaction. It can literally be you giving someone thanks and letting them know the impact that they've had on your life. Yeah. Well, you know, Melinda, what's 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 up next? What what uh, what do you have going on that you would like to, to kind of like talk about or, or share with the listeners? Um, well, the big thing right now is so Art Twenty One has a series that's been running for almost twenty years called Art in the Twenty First Century. It's our PBS broadcast series, and it documents four artists per episode who are great emerging groundbreaking contemporary artists we just premiered the first episode everyday icons last month and next month on june 20th we're actually premiering the second episode of art in the 21st century which is called bodies of knowledge so in that episode it's going to be featuring hank willis thomas so the the embrace piece in boston we documented the entire process of that piece and so you know you know, that made major waves on social media for better or worse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so it's going to be great to have that out in the world and to see what sort of conversations come around it. Obviously, there's Hank Willis Thomas, Anna Kayes, a multimedia artist, um, Talba Auerbach, who is another multimedia artist, and the Gorilla Girls, which if you're unfamiliar, they were very big activist artists in the 70s and 80s. And they're still doing activism-based work around the arts just to make sure that there's equal representation of women and people of color in the art world. So that episode premieres on PBS on June 23rd. And so I'm preparing for that premiere. And then the third episode comes out in October. That one's entitled Friends and Strangers. And that features the filmmaker and artist Miranda July, the artist Chinu Bahanska Luger, Christine Sun Kim, and Linda Good Bryant, who is an artist and activist and had that installation at MoMA. I'm jammed. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's like the the big thing right now. So, you know, anyone who's listening to or watching this, definitely go to art21.org. It's art21 across all social media platforms and check us out on June 23rd on PBS on the app or online to see bodies of knowledge and that everyday icons episode that I mentioned that featured Amy Sherald, who did the portrait of Michelle Obama. So that was like really awesome to be a part of. I think it was my second week on the job. I was part of the production um, on site at the high museum in Atlanta when her works were installed there. And it also features the artists, Roseby Simpson, Alex DeCorte and Daniel Lynn Ramos who has a show up at MoMA PS1 in New York City right now as well. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm definitely going to go back and, and check out Everyday Icons and and I'll I'll be watching on the the 23rd or shortly thereafter. You know, you said earlier that R21 is keeping you very busy and I'm listening to these uh, projects and the people I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that 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 would keep me pretty busy too." <laughs> yeah. Um, and then how can, how can people follow you? Lastly, you know, we, we know how we can follow R21. Now, how can we keep up with you? Well, 
there's no keeping up with Melinda, but <laughs> how can we follow? Yeah, I, I don't post on social a lot because, you know, I'm so deeply entrenched in the digital world with my work, but on social media, I'm at the Clever Agency across all platforms, the Clever Agency. And then if you want to learn more about me personally, my website's Melando.com, M-O-L-A-U-N-D-O.com. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Melando. And, and thank you for being here today. And I thank you for being you. I mean, you, you've been in the game for a minute and I, honestly, you paved the way for, you know, people like me to be able to come in and, and behind you. So thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you for continuing to do the work. And uh, yeah, let's, let's keep building. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jarrell. It's great to see you and chop it up with you for a little while. Oh, always, always. You have just listened to another episode of Fluency with Dr. Darrell Cooper. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please be sure to follow us on all major streaming platforms as well as on all of our social media channels for Cultural Innovation Group and Darrell Cooper. And remember, the journey to liberation starts with loving yourself. And those are doctor's orders.